Word of God, it's going to be awesome. Um, if you have a Bible um, or a device that you like to read the Bible on, we are going to be in Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 3. Sorry to leave Acts chapter 2 behind. It's <laughs> such a fun one. But Acts chapter 3 is really fun too. So Acts chapter 3, if you have a Bible or a device, we will do the scriptures up here on um, the projector wall as well. Um, we are in our series about being empowered um, and really uh, being what, what Cindy was talking about, that something incredible happened after Jesus ascended into heaven. He sent the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, to the planet. Not that he wasn't here already. The presence of God has been here since the dawn of creation. But the presence of God, the person of God, came to live inside human bodies. What in the world? And here we are. And so this is what our series is about, being empowered, having the very person of God living on the inside of us. Praise the Lord. So, I wanted to start the message by saying, greetings, Theophilus. This is a test to see who was here a month ago. And the crooked faces, some of you are getting me telling me you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, the disciple Luke uh, wrote the book of Acts. Some actually say that the gospel of Luke and Acts were actually one book to begin with. Um, I would beg to differ, but they are the same author, and he opens the book of Acts by saying, Greetings, Theophilus, which you would think, well, that's a cool Greek name, but actually the meaning of that name is friend of God or lover of God, and I love that because that means this book is written to you, friend of God. It's written to those who love God. This isn't just a story that happened sometime in the past. You know, that's how the church started, oh, man, wasn't it awesome? It's our story now today. Their pages are still being written through you and me as we live empowered by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Uh, God is up to something in these last days. Did you know these are the last days? Do you know when the last days are? The days since Jesus left until he comes. Those are the last days. So you could say we're probably getting to the last of the last days. Um, because as I love to say, a little tongue-in-cheek, Jesus' return is closer than it's ever been which is always true, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, we should live with that kind of expectancy. We are living in the days of the promise of the Holy Spirit. It's not for that time. It's not for another time, sometime. It's now time, okay? It's our story. This is the greatest hour that we have been born into, the, the spirit age, the church age until Jesus comes and establishes his kingdom on earth forever, we get to live in his kingdom by the power of the Holy Spirit now. It's awesome. It's awesome. And what began in Acts chapter 1, 2, where he began to pour out his spirit is still happening until he comes. God started pouring out his spirit in that upper room with 120, and 3,000 came to, to the Lord in that day, but he's continued every day since then to pour out his spirit. And every day since then, in, in our history, as a people of God, people have been being added to the church. 
In fact, probably more today than we know if we could quantify it. Actually, technologically, we could probably count. There's probably thousands upon thousands every day across the globe coming to Jesus. You ever think about that? We think of, oh, the great revival of the great harvest of souls coming into the kingdom. We expect it's going to be very noticeable, like, you know, a stadium in Los Angeles is going to be filled and the gospel will be preached with signs and wonders and suddenly tens of thousands come to the Lord. I'll tell you, probably tens of thousands are coming to the Lord today and you don't see it. Why did it happen like this? Because this is where it started. It started in a pinpoint location, but from day one Today, two, today, three, it already hit the nations of the earth. Because in that city, and I'm saying stuff that's not on my notes, but this is so great. It's so good, our history. There were people from all the, the believing nations gathered in Jerusalem on that day. And you know what they did after they met Jesus and got filled with the Holy Spirit? They went home. And suddenly, the Holy Spirit and the gospel went from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the then known ends of the earth already. It started then, and it's continuing today. And the, books of Act, the book of Acts actually plays out those stories. Um, if you have a little, I was just going to give you a little summary. If you have a little study Bible that has um, little maps in it, I did, I was looking at this. I meant to actually get it for you on the first day we did Acts. But all the nations in that Acts 2 passage, if you're familiar, so it's those from Phrygia and Cappadocia and all the names. Uh, it's this widespread map that encircles Israel. All these people had converged in one place, and so immediately the gospel was in the nations. It's amazing, and it's continued to expand. You know how we know? Here we are. <laughs> uh, it works. It works, friends. Um, this is our story. Praise the Lord. I've gone silent now because my notes turned off. Okay. So glad for the hour that we live in. Um, today I want to talk about the empowering presence of God being the treasure that we have. Um, so I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump into Acts chapter 3. Thank you, Father, for your living word. Thank you for your son Jesus who saves our souls. And thank you for the empowering Holy Spirit that gives us life today that has brought the gospel to us today, that has freed us and delivered us today. We thank you for it. Would you give us more revelation of who you are? As we sang today, would you open our eyes to see what we haven't seen yet? And would you increase our faith in your name today? And would you cause us to walk boldly in the power that you've given us? That we would treasure the treasure within and give it away to the world around us. Well, that's our prayer. And if you agree, you can say amen. All right, so we're going to jump into Acts chapter 3. Now, what I said before, as we read this word, I want you to understand this, this is not a story. This is our history. It's better said his story, our story, God's story. Okay, so don't read this as some fun fictional account. This is our story. Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And you may be familiar with this story. Good. One day, this after Acts chapter 2, thousands came into the kingdom. It says that the people had been meeting together. I'm just going to, sorry, give context. And last week we talked about how it was a community of believers that gathered together all the time because when they were together, God was there. 
All right, it says many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. Okay, and it kind of closes out there, Acts chapter 2. Let me just see. Uh, oh, they went around praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. That almost sounds like a great way to end the story, but then they start unpacking the story. Okay, turn the page, Acts chapter 3. One day, <laughs> Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. Oh, daily prayer, how about that? At 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Let me just side note. This is a normal day. One day. They're bringing this guy like they always brought this guy. Peter and John are coming to the temple at the time of prayer like they always did. Let's pick it back up. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him, them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. <laughs> Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly... The man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man they used to sit begging. In, in other words, they probably just walked by him, sitting begging in the, t in the, in the archway. And they recognized him, that's the one begging the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's stop there. What a day. It was one day, one day became what a day. Am I right? Like business as usual until Jesus showed up on the scene.
didn't stay in the grave. He's resurrected. He's alive today. And he's living inside me. I can give you him. And it will change everything for you. It won't just change everything. It can change anything. And Peter knew in that moment that the Jesus inside of him was real enough to do for this man what a couple silver coins could not, even if he had it. He said, I don't have money, but I have Jesus. Do you know that what you, as a believer in Jesus, carry inside of you is worth way more than any amount of money you could ever have? Way more powerful than money. That's such a powerful truth. It's Jesus. We're so convinced of the power of money. That hits, doesn't it? Oh, if I just had a little more. I mean, I'm not saying money's bad. I'm not saying I wouldn't mind having more. But at the end of the day, I want to tell you as a believer in Jesus, what you have inside already is way more powerful. (laughs) It can change your circumstance way better than a couple more dollars can. It can change someone else's circumstance way more than a check can. I'm not saying money can't do things and wasn't powerful and our generosity can't change people's lives, but at the end of the day, not everyone is rich in our bank accounts, but every believer is rich in Jesus. Hello? Your bank account is full in Jesus, and it never goes in the red. That's a good word right there. (laughs) <laughs> Some of you. <laughs> I focus, people. We make a lot out of money, fame, positions of influence. And then we make a lot of our difficult life circumstances. The truth is, all of those things are fleeting and fading. But in the meantime, we have within us, this treasure in jars of clay that can change it all. You don't need money, fame, or influence to see Jesus move. So any life circumstance you have, or your neighbor has, or your family has, or the person in the street has, is subject to change at the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. The truth is, money can be a snare, and the truth is, money can be an excuse. Truth is, money can be a distraction that actually keeps us from seeking and seeing the real thing we already have. My friend that I talked about before, uh, Pastor Eric from the Congo, you could tell I like this guy a lot. Um, but we were, me and uh, my friend, my other pastor friend were talking about, we were like, just tell me some of the differences, like, you know, that you've experienced now being in the U.S., ministering for five, seven years. I, I can't remember if it's five or seven. He's been pastoring for five, I think. Um, and he's been here. I'm saying, what's different? He had a lot to say. But the thing that hit me the deepest is he said, well, for, for you in Africa, if you're a Christian, you believe in Jesus, you always go to Jesus first. You may not have money or you may have money, but when you're sick, you go to Jesus first. He's like, you still go to the doctor 
but you pray first. Faith in Jesus means you always go to Jesus first because you always have Jesus. And the doctor may or may not come through for you. And you may or may not have the money, but you have Jesus. You go to Jesus first. And I was like, man, I want to be like that. The person of Jesus, the presence and power of God, is the greatest treasure you and I have. It is the greatest treasure you have. It is the most valuable thing you possess. Said it multiple times on purpose. But at the same time, we don't possess him. Maybe it's more that we would let him possess us. But having the person of God within us, we need a revelation of what we carry because we get so familiar with ourselves and sometimes so familiar with God, but we actually have God on the inside. Not just the guy on the platform, not just the guy on the Instagram feed, Every believer in Jesus has the person of God on the inside. The youngest to the oldest, the smartest to the dumbest, the weakest to the strongest, same Jesus. And that's the power that changes the world. And he's the one thing we have today that we'll carry with us into eternity. That's good news. Everything we need in this life, though, We carry him forever, but everything we need in this life right now is provided through his hands. And he freely gives the things we need. He gives us financial provision. It may come through a job, but it's his provision. Thank you, God, for my job. Thank you, God, for your provision. He's the one that gives us wholeness and healing in our hearts, and we need it. He's the provider. Maybe it comes through a friend or a counselor or a therapist, but you know who provides the healing? Jesus. Let's recognize Jesus. He's the one that frees us from sin, from addiction. He's the one who gives us joy unspeakable, and you know what? You need it. You require joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength, and guess what? He gives it. He is the source of all the things we need. Peter, John, maybe knew that, maybe had a revelation in the moment. Let me just tell you, they're like you and me. In fact, they were, we're a little ahead of them. We got 2,000 years of church history and, and rolls and rolls and rolls of testimonies to work with here. They are brand new at this Holy Spirit on the inside thing. They had no guarantees, but they had faith in Jesus. You know, when Jesus, again, bear with me, truth or not truth, I don't know. When, when Peter reached in his pocket, didn't have the money, and thought, but what I have is Jesus, uh, whether or not there was money in his pockets, okay, I'll say this. He knew he had Jesus. You know what? He looked at that man. He knew what Jesus could do, but he had no guarantee of what would happen. You understand that, right? Jesus didn't write a blank check. He did say he's moved by faith. He said if we ask in his will, he'll do it. But how many of you ever asked for something that's in the word of God and didn't see it right away? Oh, just me. Okay. Oh, five more. Good. Thank you. Feeling better. There's no guarantee. 
that Jesus would do it instantaneously, that that man would get up and walk into the temple and be praising God with them today. There was no guarantee, but Peter had enough faith to step out on the reality of, I know the treasure of God's in me, and I know it can touch you, and I know it can change your life, so the best thing I can do is not try to reason my way through this or make excuses or say, well, if it doesn't happen, let me just explain this to you. No, 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 let me just say Jesus is enough. And let's try Jesus, and let's see what Jesus will do. And Jesus came through. It's called faith. And it has substance. They, they knew Jesus. They had walked with Jesus. They would seen Jesus do the signs and wonders. Acts chapter 2 says they had seen signs and wonders without Jesus. So it wasn't a brand new thing that happened on this day. And so I have to ask myself the question, why? Why this day? Why this miracle? Why did Luke highlight this one when just a few verses before we already know that signs and wonders were normal? They'd seen Jesus do all the things. What was different about this circumstance? Well, we'll talk about it in a second. But I want to look at his motivation first. They knew who Jesus was. They knew what Jesus does, that he's the one who loves, who saves, who delivers, and he, they knew that he's the one that when we call upon his name, he shows up. That's what they knew, and that's all they needed to know. And you know what? That's all you need to know. You don't need a theological degree. You just need faith to believe that Jesus loves, he saves, he delivers. When you call on his name, he shows up. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe when you call on Jesus, he shows up? The answer is he does. You may or may not believe it because you may have experiences that are trying to tell you, well, I did, and it didn't seem like it. That's okay. I want to tell you the truth, though. Whether or not it seemed like God showed up when you prayed, he did. He cannot deny himself. He will not deny his name. But his ways sometimes are so much higher than our ways. And his thoughts are so different from ours. That I believe the moment we ask for healing, the answer is yes. Does it happen instantaneously? Not always. And that's just the plain truth, too. But here's what I do know. Healing comes from God. If it's a miracle, that's the instantaneous. Or if it's a process, healing still comes from God. When we ask, he's the one who answered. Not your intellect, not your skills. There's so much to say there. But it's not our job at the end of the day to guarantee what Jesus will or will not do. It's our job, yea, I'll say it's our privilege as carriers of his presence to know him, to know what he's like, to know what he does, to walk with him, and to present him to the world that is desperate for him. That's our privilege. That's our walk. That's what we get to do. You don't have to have it figured out. You don't need to be able to, to write the books. You just need to know him. Know the one that's living on the inside. Walk in obedience with him and look for opportunities for him to present himself to the world. And you know what every opportunity is? Any need. Any need. Any need. Healing, financial, breakthrough, relationships, job issues, solutions. You know God loves to give solutions in things that we don't have answers for. I could tell you testimonies, not my own. I have a few. I should write them down. 
But big name people who asked God for help and got revelation and inventions we take for granted today came from a revelation that God gave because God, someone asked God to help them. Jesus presents himself in every way we give him an opportunity to. We get to know him, walk with him, and present him to a world that is desperately in need. I want to tell you, the world desperately wants him, too. They may not say it. They may not even know it. But the longing of every human heart is for one thing, Jesus. The longing of every human soul, no matter how broken, sinful, or dark, what they're really looking for is him. And you have him. You carry him with you, in you right now. If you've seen God work in your life, you are now commissioned to show him to the world. So when's the last time you looked in the eyes of someone who, in desperate need and said, I don't think I can help you, but I know the one who can? When's the last time you read the headlines of the news and instead of getting depressed thought, I can't do anything about that, but I know the one who can. These should be our lenses, friends. So back to the question I asked, why did Luke include this story when there are already multiple signs and wonders they didn't even list, number, or describe? What made this stand out among the many signs and wonders that were being done and bringing glory to the name of Jesus? Jesus the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. I believe what made this story so powerful that it needed to be written down was not just that it was fantastic. I'm sure it was. I bet the people in the temple remembered this day. (laughs) I think it was because that day was actually so blandly and mind-numbingly familiar before Jesus showed up. It was a long-standing, seemingly unchanging situation. It was woven into the fabric of their daily life. We're going to go to the temple at the time of prayer. They're going to bring this guy crippled from birth, crippled from birth, who comes to the temple every day to beg. So say he was a baby born crippled. How many years has he been brought to the temple gate to receive money and begging? Well, you could say his whole life. Or, if it were our society, when one's adulthood for parent, maybe once he became an adult. Jewish custom, 13, 14. Maybe he's 20 now. I'm going to give him benefit of the doubt. Six, seven years at least. Daily he's in the temple begging. Daily they're walking in at the time of prayer. They, he's, look, he's asking for money. They give him money. They walk in. They pray. They walk out. And guess what? He's still there. Day in, day out. Six, seven years at least. It was so normal and so familiar to them until God showed up. And perhaps, again, what, what tipped Peter and John off on this particular day. That's why I think he must have just reached in his pocket. I don't have anything, but I want to do something. I've got Jesus. And that changed everything. But, but I highlight that because I think for us, one of the biggest thing that trips up our faith is familiarity. 
the familiar things in life, the long-standing things in our life, the things that seem to never change things that we walk into and we walk by every day and we know we're there and we try to, you know, toss a coin at it here and there, but it's still there. Maybe we even toss up a prayer now and then about the thing, but it's still there, and so it's probably always going to be there. And familiarity, I think, is one of the biggest killers of faith. When we get too familiar with church, for instance, we can miss that God's here with us. When we get too familiar with our family, with our people, we can easily dismiss them, devalue them, see them through the lens of their shortcomings and faults and failures and how they hurt me that one time. We just get so familiar with people. And sometimes we get familiar with our own afflictions, our own physical ailments, or even our own temptations and sins. And we're just, it's just always going to be like this. Day in, day out, I'm going to get through, but that thing's just always going to be here. And the problem is that when we get so familiar and we look at the world and the world is just so broken and it's so dark and it's just always going to be like that and I hope Jesus comes to sweep us away someday, our familiarity, familiarity kills our faith. Because when we get familiar, we forget that Jesus is with us. And he's always able to do something. We forget that he is the one who in a moment can turn around any circumstance. How long have I been dealing with this my whole life? How long was this man crippled his whole life? Did it have to stay that way? No! How many decades has this thing been in your family, in your world, in your household, in your family line, in our culture, in our city? How long has it been there? doesn't matter because Jesus is the same today as he was on that day and I want to guarantee you that if he did it then he'll do it again and he'll do it again he doesn't change he's the same Jesus inside Peter walking in that gate that healed that man that day the same one He's always mighty to save. He didn't get old over the last 2,000 years. He didn't get weak. He didn't get tired. In fact, you could say, because the number of believers now is more than it's ever been, the presence of Jesus is stronger on the globe today than it's ever been. So let's not expect less. Let's expect more. Let's get our faith up. Let's get our hopes up. And let's kill familiarity. Let's not get our eyes fixed on the familiar. Let's get our eyes fixed on Jesus. And that's what made the difference. When Peter walked in and saw the man, he didn't just see the man. He saw what Jesus could do in that moment. And maybe he'd never seen that before because he was just so dang familiar with the whole thing. But in a moment, thank you, Holy Spirit, on the inside of me, I see you differently. I have a different expectation today than I had before. And when I, my expectation and my faith met in the name of Jesus, we speak, we pray, we declare, Jesus shows up. we got to get our eyes fixed on Jesus. Let's make Jesus the first thing. Like, oh, how can I help you? Let me give you a little money. Let's make Jesus the first thing. Oh, I got this diagnosis. Make Jesus the first thing. I got this issue going on. Make Jesus the first thing. This has been going on for decades. 
Stop. Make Jesus the first thing because you got a new day. And when you wake up the next day, make Jesus the first thing again. And when you get a new day, it's all the same. Make Jesus the first thing again until it changes, until you see the manifestation of his power, until you see the fullness of his presence because I want to guarantee you he didn't go anywhere. You say, I prayed before, we believed before, and, and here we are, so why are we praying? Well, why do we stop praying? Why do we stop believing? Because we get our, guys, our eyes taken off of him. We get our eyes looking at it. You know, I have this little scratch in my hand. And I this tiny, tiny, just an example, though. Jesus could heal it, actually. I have a story. I had this tumor thing on my hand several years ago, and, and it w- wouldn't heal after they did the surgery. And I spoke over it, and it started to change before my eyes, literally. But anyway, so I got this cut right here, and like, what if I believed Jesus could heal, and I asked Jesus to heal it, and it didn't change? Well, I could easily just say, well, cut's still there. Jesus didn't come through. What were my eyes fixed on? The cut. Let's get our eyes fixed on Jesus. Because you know what? Whether or not he instantaneously healed this thing, this thing's going to be healed in a matter of time. And you know he'll still be the same? It's Jesus. <laughs> we get our eyes so fixated on temporary things that are all subject to change. And even if they don't change in this life, they're going to change in the next. And they're going to change when Jesus comes back. See, the glory of God, the the privilege we have as the people of God walking with God today is to pull tomorrow into today. It's to bring the kingdom of heaven into earth. This is our glorious privilege. It's the greatest adventure of all to have the opportunity by the power of the Holy Spirit within us to connect to heaven into earth realm. That's what happened because that crippled man will not not be crippled in heaven. And Jesus is heaven, but wait, Jesus is in me. So heaven is here. Heaven is now. I have an opportunity by the power of the Holy Spirit to see it now and not to wait till later. And it's our great adventure, our great privilege to release heaven now. Why? Because the world so desperately needs the one they can't see. They so desperately need to see that Jesus is in us and he comes out by giving us evidence. Acts chapter one, you're gonna receive power so that you can be a witness. Why? Because Jesus left the planet and put his spirit in you. And so people can't go find Jesus and let Jesus lay their hands on them anymore. They have to come find you. When they want evidence of Jesus, it comes through you. That's what it means to be a witness. Your power to be my witness isn't just about having words that move a heart. It's that. God puts anointing on preaching, and you see that in the book of Acts. But to be a witness means you have evidence to present. There are facts that Jesus lived, died, buried, and you can prove it. He was a real person. There's factual, apologetic evidence for that, but there's also the power of the resurrection that Jesus is alive today. You have power because he wants you to bring evidence of heaven. So people will be like, did you do that? And you go, no, how could I? I'm just like you. I'm just a person. You know who did this? Jesus. Oh, I thought he was just a good teacher. No, he's Lord and Savior. 
He's healer, deliverer, conqueror. What are you dealing with in your life? Do you need freedom? Do you need healing? Jesus is there for you. We need a couple more people that get accused of being miracle workers so we can point our fingers to heaven and talk a little more about Jesus. I'm not a miracle worker, but I have a treasure in my jar of clay. Our faith needs to be fixed. Our eyes need to be fixed on him. Hebrews 11 and 12 Say these powerful things, I'm just read them quick. Hebrews 11, 1. Faith is confidence in what we hope for, an assurance about what we do not yet see. The reality of the kingdom of heaven has to be as more real to you than the things you see right now. The person of Jesus has to become more real to us than everything here, which is literally fading away. Jesus is our faith. Jesus is our assurance. He is our confidence. Jesus is our hope. What's the substance? What's the confidence? It's him. How do I know? He changed me. He saved me. He delivered me. I'm telling the truth. And if that's your story, you have that faith. You have that assurance. You have that confidence. You have that hope. Hebrews 12 then says, therefore, Since all of us have experienced this and many have gone before us with the same testimony of Jesus, throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. The pioneer makes way for us to come and settle in the land of faith, friends. The pioneer made a way for us to come live in his way of life. And he's perfecting faith in us. How did he show us the way? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Scorning and shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Wait a minute. He endured the cross and now he's at the right hand of God. That's a walk of faith, friends. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary, so that you will not lose heart. If Jesus could literally walk through death believing he'd be resurrected, and we can look at him and what he walked through, then we can walk with him through anything knowing that Jesus will come out on the other side. He didn't grow weary. He didn't give up. And he never will. When we see what he can do and what he's provided, we know he'll do it again. We are, are we seeing the issues before us with the eyes of faith, the eyes of Jesus? We've got to throw off the things that hinder us, which I think many times is our familiarity. We've got to throw off that familiarity and the sin. Sin will entangle you. Sin just means missing the mark. And every time our faith doesn't meet up with Jesus is a sin too. We miss the mark. That's not a condemnation. It's just to even the playing field. <laughs> How do we fall short of the glory of God? All the time. Well, thank God that Jesus hit the mark every time. And every time we realize we fall short, throw it off. Get your eyes on Jesus. Every time you realize you miss the glory of God, throw it off. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Why? He already finished the race. He pioneered the way for you. Get your eyes on Jesus. In other words, get it off your faults. 
Get it off yourself. Get it off your familiar surroundings. Get it off what entangles you. Get your eyes on Jesus. And guess what? You'll be unentangled. Look at Jesus more and you'll sin a lot less. Amen and amen. Are we seeing the issues in the world before us with the eyes of Jesus or with the eyes of familiarity? We need to be clear. The answers to the problems right here. The answers to the problems right here. The answers to the problems out there. They're all in him. It's all in Jesus. That's not an oversimplification. It's just acknowledging the provider. It's just acknowledging the, the powerful one. We need to see with those eyes. And let me tell you, you'll feel a lot less oppressed a lot less depressed looking at the world around us if you keep your eyes on Jesus. Your faith will get up and you'll actually call on the name of Jesus. And you know what's going to happen when you call on the name of Jesus? He's going to show up. We get familiar. We don't call on the name of Jesus. He's not showing up. Cast off that familiarity. Call on the name of Jesus. He's going to show up. The pressure was not on Peter in that moment. It was on Jesus. We can easily acknowledge I have no ability in and of myself to make anything good happen. Lasting, powerful, delivering power, I, I have none. And yet Jesus, the treasure of all heaven and earth, lives inside of you and me. Amen? So where are the people in your life that are stuck in brokenness and need healing? Or what about you? What are the long-standing decades-long issues that you've come so familiar with. You've just learned to live life and walk by that thing every day. What is it? We all got it. What are the things in the world that you're just like, ah, it's not going to change until Jesus comes back? I want to challenge you. I want to exhort you and maybe rebuke you to cast off that familiarity, to not get comfortable with it, not to manage a way for it to, to, to live without Jesus. Let's manage a way to see Jesus into our circumstance. Let's manage a way to speak Jesus into our circumstance. And we're going to do that even today. How many of you know that today Jesus is a healer? How many of you know today he's a deliverer? Or as the song says, a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper. How many of you know today he's that one? He's the one. And he's working, right? He's always working, even when we don't see it. Because he hasn't changed. And he never will. And so we can believe today. And we can believe tomorrow. And we can believe again and again. Because Jesus will always be that. And when we call upon his name today, he'll show up. It's who he is. It's what he does. Let's stand together. Would you mind? Thank you, Jesus, for placing this treasure in these weak, weak jars of clay called our bodies, for being the same one yesterday, today, and always, for never changing, never growing tired or weary, and always being for us. Oh, you're so for us. You are not against us. You're fighting for us. You long to do good towards us. 
Oh, thank you, Jesus. Well, as we come into a time of prayer, we're going to address specific needs and issues, if you're willing. But before we do, I want to ask everyone in the room today, is Jesus your greatest treasure? Is he at the center of it all for you? Is your life fully given over to him? And if not, I want to give you that opportunity to set yourself right with him today. And maybe it's even disappointment or bitterness about ways it seemed like he didn't come through that has put you a little off center. Oh, his mercy is, is new today. His hand is outstretched today to invite you back to a place of fresh faith for the first time or for the 50,000th time, you just want to say, I need to make Jesus the center. I need to make him my greatest treasure. Call him Savior and Lord afresh today. Would you just raise your hand right where you are? Amen, I see you. Just tell him, Jesus, I believe you. I put you at the center. I bow my knees before you as, as Savior and Lord again. I cast off all the things that have entangled me. And I set my eyes fully on you, Jesus. From this day and all the days of my life, I set my gaze on you. You are the author of this faith in me and you will be the finisher of it. You will see me through to the end. Amen. And if you pray that prayer in faith, I tell you, the treasure, the power, the person of the Holy Spirit lives inside you today. And you can be that change agent that brings the treasure of Jesus to the world. Hallelujah. And so right in this moment, we're going to activate. We're going to activate faith. I really felt that we needed, that the Lord was inviting us to profess prophesy liberty and freedom to people who've been oppressed just as Jesus declared it was his ministry to give freedom and liberty to the oppressed so whether it's issues of physical ailments healing diagnosis whether it's issues of the heart and soul that have weighed you down maybe anxiety that's been crippling you or even areas of addiction if you are willing today we want to look at Jesus in your situation and declare the name of Jesus over you today. I'm not going to make anyone do it. I'm not going to call anyone out. And I'm not going to make anyone pray for anyone. But I believe there's faith stirring in the room today. I believe Jesus is with us. And I believe anything's possible. Today may look like any other day, but it could turn around in a moment, just like it did to the, for the man at the entrance of the temple that day. So if you're in the room today and you can point to something in your life that has been there, it seems immovable, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, or otherwise, and you're like, today is a good day for Jesus to break in, and you would let us pray for you. Would you just raise your hand right where you are, nice and high, no shame, no condemnation. The rest of you, your hand's not raised, open your eyes and look around. If there's faith in your heart for Jesus to make a difference, go walk towards one of these people right now and surround them. Get every person with a hand on them and surround it. Every person, at least one person with one other. Now, if you're not, faith is not there. You don't have to do this. Nobody has to do this. But if you're standing in the room today and you're like, I know Jesus is more than enough, 
I want you to activate that little bit of faith that there's no guarantee of what's going to happen. We're just activating faith. We're just calling on the name of Jesus. Still have a hand over here that needs someone to pray for them. Anyone with faith in the Holy Spirit today could pray for this man over here. All right, any other hands? All right, we got hands around.